Amen. I feel his presence. Thank God for just being in the midst. We're in the midst of the Lord. And so we're going to pick up tonight on the tabernacle prayer, the tabernacle prayer that we will pick up on. We started this last week and we will continue. I'm going to repeat some things, uh, but I pray that you will hold on to it. Remember um, some things from last week, but if it's new to you, amen, just allow it to saturate your heart and stay in your heart. So we're talking about the tabernacle prayer. As I mentioned earlier, I believe this tabernacle prayer is your key to stand in the kingdom of God, is your key to keep your soul revived, is your key to get you on track when you get off track. Mm, let's not, let's just be straightforward with it in Every one of our walks in, in, in God, all of us, our relationship, our walk with God, there is always going to be some trying times, some ups and some downs. Uh, there's going to be some times where things are good and some times where things is not so good. But at the end of the day, you need to have something that you're saying, but I know how to get back on track. But I know what I'm supposed to do. And so you will have this prayer because you will ha this is what I've given you tonight that I say you can't turn over until we're done till we're ready to pray it. So you have to keep it turned down. But you will see how powerful this prayer will be when you use it to pray the prayer of faith and to help you get back on track. So let's talk a little bit about the tabernacle and then we'll go into the actual prayers that we talked about last week and that we will continue to talk about this week. We started in Hebrews chapter 9, which, which talks about the tabernacle, uh, in, in, in Exodus chapter 25, from Exodus 25, uh, from chapter 25 all the way up to chapter 40, in the Old Testament, you will read a lot of things about the tabernacle. You will read about how Moses received the plan and how the plan was executed to building, in building this tabernacle. And so, uh, the tabernacle, God spoke to Moses and, and told him what was to do. And so it started back in Exodus in the Old Testament. But God always confirmed his words. And so we have the confirmation for the New Testament, which is in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 2. And verse 2 says, for there was a tabernacle made, again, confirming what was made back in the day in Moses' days. There was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the shoe bread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant and over the cherubims of the glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. So here is a description of the tabernacle, and I'll go into it a little bit more. But tonight, I just wanted to give you a little uh, glimpse of what it had the potential to look like or what it may have looked like back in the day. Here's a little glimpse. Uh, behind here is, is, is what's called the Ark of the Covenant. Right here 
is the veil. And right here is the golden censer, the altar of incense. And so over here you have the candlestick. And over there you have the table of showbread. And so this is called, where you are, we'll call it the holy place. And back here we'll call the holies of holy. So we'll talk about how we get to this place because the tabernacle prayer notes is to take you from your own fleshly ways of thinking and being to take you into the presence of God. The prayer, the tabernacle prayer is to get you into the presence of God, get you out of what's all around you, get you out of your mindset, get you out of your fleshly thinking and get you into the presence of God. How many wants to be in the presence of God? I don't know about you, but I want to be in the presence of God. I will tell you this, that this tabernacle prayer, in my opinion, it is so powerful because what happens and what we've lost a whole lot is the way how our world is today. We are no longer spending time with God. And so because we're not spending time with God, the things that we're spending time with is dominating our lives. The question must be asked, and this is it. Do Are we planning to go to heaven? Are we planning to make heaven our home? Because if we are, then shouldn't the things of God dominate our lives? Or should it be the things that we deal with on a daily basis? The tabernacle prayer is like a shut-in with God. You shutting yourself in with God. When you get into the tabernacle, you're saying, I'm shutting myself in with God. I want to commune with God. I want to hear his voice. I want to be able to feel his touch. I want his presence all around me. I want to hear a, a word from him that will give me direction. I'm going to shut in with God. And so everything else that we do in life can never compare with being in the presence of God, hearing God's voice, being shut in with God. It's important to understand the tabernacle, the, 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 the real importance of the tabernacle. So the tabernacle, why was it called a tabernacle? What was it all about? The tabernacle is also called the tent of meeting. It was a sacred tent portable and provisional sanctuary where God met his people. So the tabernacle was established for God to meet his people. You might say, well, God is almighty and he's present everywhere. Why did he need a tabernacle to meet with his people? Well, I can answer that for you. God is a holy God. Somebody say God is a holy God. And he can't deal with unholiness. He can't deal with unrighteousness. A holy God cannot fellowship and connect with unholy people. We have to be holy in order to commune with the holy God. So if we don't make, if we don't get to a place where we become holy, we will never have true communion with God. We may every once in a while get some direction from God because he loves us and he might give us a word to say, hey, you need to repent of your sins or hey, you need to go to church or hey, he might direct us different kind of ways just to try to get us to a place of being able to commune with him but you don't get real insight and get real instruction and be consumed with God's will unless you are in his presence and you can't get into his presence without being holy 
So God created a tabernacle in order to meet with his people because what happened was his people, Israel, back then, they became a people that would defile themselves. They would worship false gods. They would do things that was ungodly. They would do fleshly things that God said was a sin. And they did things that was ungodly. So as a people, as a country, as a nation, they were doing, some were doing good, some were doing bad, some was indifferent. And God is saying, I am not into some doing good, some doing bad, and some indifferent. I'm only into godliness. I'm only into the things of God. And so now, in order to commune and fellowship with my people, I needed to meet the ones that will clean themselves up at a special place. That's what the tabernacle was all about. God wanted to meet and commune with his people that will be holy. People that he could, because he could not commune with unholy people, he had to create a a, a situation where we would become holy and now we would be able to go into his presence. That's why he established the tabernacle. And so God, Moses called it, the tent of meeting. Moses called it the tent of meeting because it was the place of revelation where God revealed his word and revealed his presence. So it was a place of revelation. There God met his people when the pillar of cloud descended to the doors of the tent. It is the movable tent which Moses erected for the service of God to the pattern which God himself showed Moses on the mount. It is also called the tabernacle of the congregation, the tabernacle of the congregation. So notice one thing that's very special. Let me go ahead and say this. If God felt like it was a need way back then to establish, to erect a tabernacle to meet with his people who decided to make themselves clean and holy, then you understand today what the church is all about. Hmm. The church is a replica of the tabernacle. So why are we coming to church? Because this is our opportunity to get ourselves cleaned up and enter into God's presence and commune with God. So like the Old Testament when it was a tent, today we get buildings and we make them sacred and we we, we use them to be able to get in the presence of God, to be able to be consumed by communing with God. So back then it was a tent, today it's a building, but the same is what God required. He established the tabernacle, he established his church so he could meet with his people and have communion and fellowship with them. God loves you and God loves me. He loves us, but he cannot fellowship with us if we're unholy because a holy God cannot fellowship with unholy people. That's not a knock against anybody. It's it's God's commandment. God cannot do anything but what he can. And so if he says I'm holy, be ye holy as I am holy, then we have to become holy in order to be in God's presence. Again, can God tell you something without you being in his presence? Yes, because he's God. He told the apostle Paul that you need to go 
and, 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 and because you're going to suffer many things for my name's sake. So he met the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus and told him that he needed to get his life together and get saved. So God can tell you things, but to have communion and fellowship with God, it takes somebody to get holy and righteous. That's the only way we're going to have communion with God. That's the only way we're going to be able to be in his presence and say, wow, I know I'm in God's presence. Wow, I'm hearing his voice. Wow, he's directing me. Wow. And you just know it's God working. That is communion and fellowship with God. And this tabernacle prayer will help you. It will be so essential to you having a real relationship with God. It's so essential to you living a revived life and not living a life that that's stale and, and and not going anywhere. We as a people have challenges because in this day and age, it's very difficult for us to really get serious about God. It's very difficult for us to get in God's presence because everything is fighting for our time and choking God out. I don't know how we rectify that in our minds, but it should never be that way. But guess what? It is that way. Most pastors that really care about people and wanting to see people get a real relationship with God is sitting around praying and, and doing whatever they can, saying, what in the world is happening? Why it seems like God is so far on people's list, way down the list, that people are living their life however they want and d- just not giving God is just due. We only bring God into our situations when we need him. We treat God like a genie. Only when we need him, we get him involved. But as long as we have control of our life, then we leave God out. Who told you you had control of your life? It doesn't matter how it looked to you or how it's going. You don't have control because all it takes is sickness. All it takes is for something dramatic to happen in your life, in your family. And all of a sudden, everything break loose and crazy when you thought everything was in control. So we live in it, we going about, we thinking, oh, you know, things are not that bad, you know, you know, we paying our bills and, you know, we have some of the things that we like in life and, you know, my kids are all right and, and we think we're okay. We're never okay until we are in constant communion and fellowship with God continually. That's when we're okay. That's when we can say, I'm all right, I'm doing good. It's when we're in constant communion and fellowship with God. And this tabernacle prayer plan will help you to be that and to do that. The tabernacle is divided into two, two, two not even halves, but, but, but two different sanctuary, if you will. That's how they describe it. So you have the holy place, which is where everyone is sitting. And then back here, you have the holies of holy. And so before we got to that, we talked about last week, we talked about before you can even enter into the holy place, you had to enter into the gate. You had to enter into the yard, so to speak. So there's a yard and then a tent in the yard. The tent is a tabernacle, but in the yard, you got to enter into the yard before you can get inside the building. The tent. And so we had it set up last week where the door, when you came in, back there in the back would be the yard. In the yard, there were two things in the yard, two things. But before you got in, as soon as you got, you entered the gate to get into the yard, 
Here is how you start praying. Because that's, again, the tabernacle prayer plan is to get you into the presence of God and in fellowship with God. That's what this prayer plan is. Most of the times we pray, Brother Dow, we're praying and giving God our wish list. Most of the times we pray, we're just going to God and telling what we want. And when he doesn't do it, then we stop praying or we slow down because God didn't do what we told him he should have done. And so I'm giving you a prayer plan tonight that will get you into God's presence if you follow it. That's what we want. Because when you're in God's presence, even when you got problems, it really doesn't matter a whole lot because you're in the presence of God. You know what you and God have, you know, no matter what. To live is Christ and to die is gain. If I get out of here before the time I thought I would get out of here, I'm going to be in God's presence. And I'm not worried about it. And if I stay here, I stay in Christ. That's what the fellowship and communion with him means. And so in the yard, when you enter that gate to get into the yard, we say that's the gate of the courtyard. And when we enter that, that's where we get that whole thing about enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Anytime you're getting ready to get into the presence of God, you start out with thanksgiving and praise. So whenever you pray, the first thing you're supposed to do is say, oh, God, I praise you. Oh, God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for being so good to me. And so you realize, remember, the prayer is that I'm getting ready to get into the presence of God. And I'm thankful and I'm appreciative that I am getting into the presence of God. So you're supposed to be thankful that if I do what I'm supposed to do, I am going to get into the presence of God. Who wouldn't be thankful? Who wouldn't be like, my God, I praise you, Lord, because you're allowing me. We need to thank him and appreciate him because of who he is and what he will do and what he has done. And so praise and thanksgiving is what we do. That's what Psalms 100 verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And so you start your prayers off like that because you're heading somewhere. Listen, isn't it great to know that when you get into this prayer that you're heading somewhere? Most times we as people, if we don't feel like we are, if we don't have something that we're attempting to accomplish, it becomes boring. If we don't feel like we have something that we're attempting to accomplish, it, it seems insignificant. This tabernacle prayer, every time you pray it, you're going after something. You're going after getting into the presence of God. You're praying, but you're going after fellowship with God. And there's a certain way to get into the presence of God. There's a certain way to fellowship with God. We can't just do it. Listen. You go to the White House, you got to look a certain way. If you go overseas in other countries and you want to meet a king, you got to look a certain way. So please 
understand, in order to get in the presence of God, the requirement is we got to be holy. So it's not about your attire to get in the presence of God. It's not about your money to get into the presence of God. It's about getting yourself holy and righteous to have real communion and fellowship with Almighty God. So when you enter into the gates, you enter with praise and thanksgiving. Then after you enter the gate, the next thing you see in that courtyard, you're not in the holy place yet. You're not inside the building. The next thing you see is what they call a brazing altar, a, 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 a brazing altar or, or altar of burnt offering. That's what you see. And so here we go. We come to this brazing altar. What is that altar for? That altar is called an altar of sacrifice. When you come to that brazing altar, it's time to sacrifice yourself. All that you are, all that you're about, God says, I don't want that. I want you to be cleansed. I want you to be pure. I want you to be cleaned up in order to come into my presence. So the very first thing we have to do is acknowledge that we have sinned. The very first thing we got to do is acknowledge we're unclean. When we can go in front of God to say, I'm in unclean. I've sinned. Keep it close by in case we need it. I'm unclean. I need to clean myself up. That's the altar where you go to repent. That's the very first thing. If you're going to get into God's presence, you have to ask for forgiveness for the things that you have done wrong. And so sometimes we, okay, maybe we don't think we've done anything wrong. Then say, God, I may not know everything I've done wrong, but I know I've done something wrong because your word says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there's some sin in my life, whether I acknowledge them or I know what they are. The bottom line is I need to let God know I know there's some sin in my life. And so you go to God and what you say is, God, burn out these sins that are in me. I want you to burn out lust out of my life. I want you to burn out lie out of my life. I want you to burn out unforgiveness out of my life. I want you to burn out hate. I want you to burn out all that is ungodly. I put myself on the altar. That's why the scripture says, in, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, when it says, uh, um, present your body a living sacrifice, that's what you're doing. You're getting on the altar of God and says, I lay on your altar and I present my body a living sacrifice. It means I want you to get rid of everything that's in me that don't please you. That's how you repent. Whatever you know you've done wrong, you need to say it. This is why this is between you and God. If you got a closet, get in the closet. If it's your car, do it in your car. Wherever you can go by yourself, go there by yourself because it's between you and the Almighty God. So you can say everything you need to say. Yes, it's important to name your sins. When you speak something out loud, you get to hear what it is and you get to realize how you have done wrong. Lord, I just lied. Will you forgive me? Nobody likes to be called a liar. That's one of the For some reason, everybody get really angry when you say, you're a liar. 
You say that to anybody. If you know they lie and you want to tick them off, just say, you're a liar. And they get really upset. I have no idea what that's about. But when you call somebody a liar, they lose it. Well, go before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a liar. I lied. If you can do that with you and Jesus, and if somebody ever called you lies, hey, you know, many times I had to go to God and repent about it. So you just go and ask God for forgiveness. Forgive me for lying. Forgive me for stealing. Forgive me for cheating. And you pray those prayers to God. And God will burn up all of those things that you name. And then you say, God, in the secret places in my heart that I don't know what's in them, I want you to burn those things up too because there's things in my life. I don't know about them right now, but they will manifest one day. And before they manifest, burn that up too. Yes. We, 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 this, if we pray this prayer, we will get into the presence of God. Tonight, after you leave here tonight, you will be responsible. If you don't get into God's presence, it's because you didn't want to. So you repent and ask God to forgive you of your sins. The next thing in the yard, you still didn't get inside yet, you're still in the yard. The next thing in the yard is the labor of water. Once you repent and you tell God to burn up everything, guess what? There's going to be ashes. You're dirty still. So while he has destroyed those things you ask him to destroy, you're still filthy from the ashes of what he has burned up in your life. And so now you say, God, I know that the ashes still remain. And so the labor of water is the place of washing. Now, I could go, I, I can tell you, this is what the priest used to do when the priest was the only one that could go before God for the people. But the Bible says when God, when, when, when the Almighty God came in as a man, Jesus Christ, he died and rose and ascended to heaven, we became royal priesthood. So now we don't have to have someone go before God for us. We go to God for ourselves. So what I'm telling you right now is what the priests used to have to do for Israel. But now you do it for yourself. You don't have to go to no man, no woman, nobody to ask them to go to God for you. You go to God for yourself right now. So we say, God, wash me. How can God wash you? Because there's no physical water. How will God wash you? Okay? This place of washing represents or symbolizes baptism and cleansing. Sanctification through the word of God. In order to be washed, it's going to be by the word of God. You have to let the word of God wash over your heart and wash over your mind. So you're going to say, God, as you have burnt up those ungodliness in me, now wash them off of me. Wash my heart in your word. Wash my mind in your word. Wash my life in your word. And then you can get into some scriptures and begin to quote the scriptures because you want the word of God to clean you up to wash you off. We must be clean to minister before God. You can't go in God's presence without being clean. So God, wash me. Sanctify them through the truth. Thy word is truth. That's John 17 and 17. Psalms 19 and 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Verse 8 says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of God is 
pure, enlightening eyes. So you get into all of that stuff and begin to quote the word of God. Don't cheat. Don't cheat. Keep your paper down. I don't want you to see it. Don't cheat. Keep your paper down. So the commandments, the word of God is the, is, 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 is the things that we will say, God, wash me. Wash me by your word. And so now you have gotten cleaned up. Now it's time to enter into that holy place. Because you're cleaned up. You can go and minister. This is what it's called. We don't realize when you go before the Lord to pray, this is called ministering. Yeah. I know for a long time we pray, we thinking, yeah, I'm going to tell God all my problems and he can tell me what to do about them. Or he can do something about them. But prayer is not a monologue kind of deal. I've been saying it for a little bit. You don't go to God and recite and tell him all you want to tell him and then you get up and go. Prayer is two-way. It's dialogue. You, you communicate to God. You wait for God to communicate to you. It's, it's a communion here. It's, it's, it's being in a presence of God and letting God direct you, let God speak to you as you make your request, which means the way how you pray is really supposed to be careful now because we don't give God orders. Anybody know that? That's hard for a lot of people because a lot of us was trained for a long time or we heard for a long time prayers that, that, that when you were praying, you was giving God orders. That's a scary thing to think about. I'm going to tell God this and I'm going to tell God that. We can't tell God what to do. He's God. He knows everything. We don't. And so when we go to pray, it's communion. So we're ready to enter in to the presence of God. Now, to get into the holy place, there's five pillars that, that have a doorway. So there's a doorway with five pillars. And those five pillars, they represent Listen to this. They represent uh, or symbolize, symbolizes the characteristics of God. They symbolizes the characteristics of God. So in Isaiah 9 and 6, it says this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. The everlasting father, the prince of peace. As you're praying this prayer, now you're getting ready to get into the holy place. You quote that verse and then you begin to pray about each of those things that God is. He's wonderful, right? So you say, God, you're so wonderful. Thank you for being wonderful to me. Thank you for being wonderful to my family. Thank you for being wonderful to my church. Thank you for being wonderful to your people. And so you pray a prayer of wonderful. Then you said, counselor. We say, God, will you counsel me? Ask God to counsel you in all of your ways. Ask for his counsel because that's the counsel we really want. Say, God, I don't want to hear any other voice unless it's the voice of God or unless it's the voice that you are directing people to speak into my life. So, God, in order for me to know how to do things, I need your counsel. Will you counsel me in all situations, in all the things that I encounter? I need your counseling. When I get into a jam, I need your counseling. When I get into a situation where I don't understand, I need your counseling. Then you can go ahead and say, God, will you counsel my children? Will you counsel my family? Will you counsel my church, my church family? I need your counsel. We need your counsel. Counsel us. We're asking for his counsel. And so the next thing is the mighty God. God, show yourself mighty in my life. You're the mighty God. 
And so I can't handle these things that I come against, but you're the mighty God. Will you show yourself mighty in my life? Will you show yourself mighty in my children's life? Will you show yourself mighty in my church family's life? Show yourself mighty, Lord, will you please? Again, we're not ordering him and we're praying his will. So whatever we're praying, we're praying things that he wants to do anyway. Notice the prayer. Notice the prayer. We can't go to God and be mumble jumbling the stuff that we want. We need to pray his will. Then the other thing was the everlasting father. Father, you are the everlasting father. And I thank you for fathering me. But I need to know how to father too. And so will you show me how to father my children? How, 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 to, how to father my, my biological children, my adopted children, my spiritual children? Show me how to father my children. Hmm. So that's what we go before God and ask. Then we can even take it a step further and says, God, I pray that you will father those that are incarcerated. Will you father those that are homeless? Will you father those that are handicapped? Will you father those that are hurting people? Will you father those that are divorced? Will you father those that are widows and people in nursing homes? Will you father them? You see what we're praying? We're praying God's will. This prayer, I'm telling you, will get your soul so stirred and mind on God and get you going in the right direction. You can't miss if you pray this prayer. This is just a guideline because once you get into it, you will start understanding what place in the, the, the tabernacle you are so you know how and what to pray. The other thing is Prince of Peace. Oh, God. Bring peace into our life. Bring peace into our home. Bring peace into our marriage. Bring peace into our children's life. Bring peace in our church. Bring peace in our community. This is what we're praying before we enter into the gate, the, the door of the holy place. And so now, after you have prayed those prayers, you're now in the holy place. In the holy place, you have the table of showbread. You have the golden candlesticks. And then you have the golden censer of incense. All of them represent something. And so we can go, first of all, let's go with the candlestick. So we have the candlestick over there. The candlestick or candles or light was the only source of light in the tabernacle. Remember, there wasn't any electricity. So it had to be uh, uh, fire. It was fire being burned, whether it was candle, however they made it, but the source of it was oil. Olive oil was crushed, and that oil was at the bottom of that fire that was burning because the oil was the thing that kept the fire burning, that kept the light in the tabernacle. So that's the only place that light came from in the tabernacle. The place that gave light in the tabernacle was the golden candlestick. So now you're praying about that. So you're saying, Jesus, you are the source of light. Mm. And so now you want to say, God, will you let fresh oil come into my life? I need fresh oil in me to keep this light, the Holy Ghost, burning in my life. And so in order for me to keep burning, in order for my light to keep shining, I need the oil of God to be in my life. And so now I'm saying, God, let fresh oil come in my life so I can be that light wherever I go. God, will you guide me? Will you shine your light before me? Will you allow me to be the light 
of the world as you were the light of the world. He says that he will light our pathway and be a lamp unto our feet so we can ask God, uh, will you use us as a light? Whenever your light is shining, let it shine in me so people can see me, not for my sake, but so they can be drawn to you. I want to bring glory to your name uh, and it's because of the light. Let your light shine in my life. Uh, Will you let your light shine brightly in my life? God, let there be a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost even now in my life. Lord, let there be a, uh, let me be full of the Holy Ghost and power. Will you quicken me by your spirit? This, this part of prayer is all about light. It's all about life in you uh, and light that's shining through you so people can give God the glory. So we want to talk about soul winning. The only way we're going to reach people, the Bible says no man can come to the Father unless by Jesus. Uh, and the only way we can get to Jesus is when he draws us. How can God draw people except for through us? He's no longer physically here. So if he's going to draw people, he's going to draw people through your life. But how will people come to you? The light of God has to shine in you. And when God light shine in you, people will come to you. They will start asking questions. What is it about you? Why you talk like that? Why you live like that? Why you operate like that? Because the light of God is in me, and God allow you to see it in me, so you can get to God. I'm nobody. I'm just God's servant, and when the light shines, it's because God is talking to you. It's because God is drawing you with the light that is in me. We won't miss if we practice praying like this. We won't miss. God will work in our life. That's how we're going to reach the lost. That's how we're going to do God's will is to let the light shine. Nothing gets missed when we pray this prayer. Everything that you always wanted, if you deeply desire God's will, it's all in this prayer. The other thing, the showbread, 12 loaves of bread, represents fellowship and sanctification, satisfaction, communion. It's talking about the 12 loaves. It it symbolizes God's willingness to fellowship with us. God wants to fellowship with us. I don't know how we see God. But God created us so we can be in fellowship with him. Why Why do you think he created us differently from everything else and everyone else? Because he created us to have fellowship. He didn't create the angels to have fellowship with him. He didn't create the animals to have fellowship with him. He didn't create the grass and the trees and the seas to have fellowship with him. He created us to have fellowship with him. He went as far as to say, I have to create you in my image because you can't fellowship with anything that's not like you. You will never be able to come together to agree on anything because if I'm something different from you, how we're going to be able to do it? I can't have fellowship with a monkey. He created us like him. He took a risk, but in his mind, it was worth it. What was the risk? He gave you your own choice. He said you can determine, you can decide whatever you want. 
And I know that's risky because some people are going to determine or decide, I don't want to know this God. I'm going to do whatever I want. He knew some people would decide that. He knew some people was going to say, man, I'm good. I'm going to live my own life. He knew that. But he wanted fellowship with you so bad. He said, but what about the ones that want fellowship with me? That's how he looked at it. And still today, that's the same deal. There are many that's going to say, let me just live my life. They're wrong because how did they get that life? So it's really not their life, but that's another story. But there's many that's saying, I'm good. I'm not into this church stuff. I'm not into this God stuff. I'm not into this prayer stuff. Just let me be me. Let me live my life. And God will let you live it. He will make an attempt to lead you towards him. But if you determine that you want to live your own life, you're going to end up living your own life. We said that's what's wrong with our world today. People determine that they don't want to know no God. They don't want to live for God. They don't want to have no relationship with God, so they're going to live their own life. And then we worry about why we have these problems in society, because we decide we don't want God. We don't want God. I don't need God. I'm good. Let me live my life. And so God says, okay, I'm going to leave you alone. But the ones that says make a decision on their own, the one that's saying, I'm going to make this decision to seek out God, to come to know him, and to live for him, and to have communion and... Oh, man, he's just so, he's just awe, he's in awe. He is so enjoying those of us that decided, I want to have fellowship. He enjoys that. Because that's why he created you anyway. The Bible says it wasn't, it's not good for man to be alone. And, and God brought Eve into Adam's life. But you know what's funny? God was alone. He created the animals, and he gave the animals partners. Animals had each other. So now God was by himself. Animals had each other. Then God created man. So God was alone. Man was alone. Now, I know God was saying, well, we're not alone. I got you. You got me. But God extended it. He gave man a companion for just just here on earth. Because when we get to heaven, there will be no marriage. So if you're going to get married, you better get married now because ain't no marriage in heaven, Brother D. You're not going to be having no wife in heaven talking about you sporting around in heaven with a wife. Oh, no. No, no, no. It's going to be you and Jesus. It won't matter because you you're going to have a different kind of body. So you'll be fine. But the bottom line is God created us like him. So we can choose whether or not we want to have a relationship and fellowship with him. That's what he did. And so that's why we're here today. And so when we ask, when we, when, we, when we begin to get to the table of showbread, we're we there at the table of showbread, we, we are saying, Lord, I'm, I'm, I want fellowship with you. And so here's one of the prayers we begin to pray. God, I pray today for a fresh word from you. A fresh word from God is called rhema. R-H-E-M-A. What that means is it's a word that God is speaking to your life. I remember one day I did that. God is so faithful to whatever he says. I remember one day I was just, just, you know, we all have our time. And I just felt like at that time, it was just a challenging time for me. And I says, God, I just want one word from you. Can, can you just give me one word? I don't need 50 words. I just need one word. 
Because sometimes you want to know if you and God are right. So you're saying, God, I don't know we're good. I think I'm doing okay, but I need to know we're good. Can you just give me one word? That word will let me know if I'm good or I need to get better. That word will let me know what's going on. So can you give me just one word? One of God's word may can carry you for a long time. When God gives you a fresh word, I say, God, when I'm praying this, I say, God, will you speak a word from your lips into my ear? Will you speak a word from your lips into my heart? Because I just want a word from you, Lord. And I'm persistent about that. Lord, I just want to hear from you. He wants to speak a word to you. So we can pray that and keep on giving him a hard time. God, we just want a word from you. So the showbread represent rhema word, a fresh word. Whenever the priest went inside the holy place, every time he went and he changed the bread to fresh bread. This is why it's important to say rhema word because it means it's a fresh word from God. It's not a, just a word of every day from God. It's a fresh word. So whenever the priest went into the holy place, he changed the bread that was in the, in, in, in the, um, the, the table of showbread. He changed the bread and put fresh new bread in there. So when you go to God and you say, God, I want a rhema. I want a fresh word, meaning God breathe. God will speak a word to you. Remember, this is all about fellowship, communion, and enter into the presence of the Lord. That's what it's really all about. They said the tabernacle is heaven on earth. We didn't even realize that. The tabernacle is getting some heaven while you're here on earth. If I'm going to heaven, I need to experience a little bit of heaven before I get there. I need to know how to live in heaven before I get there. So when I pray this tabernacle prayer, what I'm saying is, God, give me some heaven while I'm here on earth. Give me some heaven so I'm prepared to get there. Who is planning to get to heaven and not begin to practice how to live when you get there? Give me some heaven on earth, God. And so, rhema word that we ask him, that we ask God to speak to your heart and to allow you to commune with him and hear his voice and to follow him. God, I want to hear your voice. I want to commune with you. Pray for your direction and pray for direction from God in your life and say, God, I need direction in my life. I don't want to just do whatsoever I want. I want your direction. God, you are the bread of life. Feed me the word of God. Feed me your word because you are the bread of life. That's what we're going to God and saying when we get the table of showbread. Then we jump over here. We, we, we did that already, right? No, we didn't do that. We did that. that. This is where we are. I'm sorry. So now, now we're here, but we call this the golden altar of incense. Now. Here, we're here. This is just called golden, golden altar, incense burn, going up. This is what we call the veil, and behind the veil. Ah, woo! Woo! The golden altar of incense. This is a symbol of our prayers and intercession going up to God. So this is where now you pray the things that you always prayed. Well, I don't know about that because I don't know how many of us intercede. We pray intercession prayer. Intercession prayer is praying for somebody else other than yourself. Intercession prayer is praying God's will and praying for others. And so when you get to here, 
three things that happen here. You begin to pray, intercessory prayer. You also worship and you praise God right here because you're getting ready to get inside the holies of holy. So what you're saying is, God, I want to pray the prayers of faith that will reach those that I'm calling their name out. I'm calling out their name. I want I want to reach those. And so whatever we do here must come from our heart. When you're right here, it, it better come from your heart. All of it must come from your heart. So let's not say that. All of your prayers better come from your heart because you can't fool God. The heart of man must correlate with the heart of God. So right here is a heart-to-heart you have it with God. Intercede for your family. So now you're interceding for your family. Any situation in your life that requires God intervention, that's what you're praying. So you're praying some things about yourself, yes, but only the things that you say, this needs a, a, a supernatural move of God to intervene here for my life. And now you start to pray for your children if you have them, because they're supposed to be at the top of your list if you have children. You start praying for your children, and then after that you can pray for your mom and your dad. You pray for your, for, for, for your siblings and for your, your cousins and for your aunt and for your uncle. You're, you're interceding for all of who you can remember. Sometimes you might have to write it down and begin to pray God's will for them because that's what you're praying. You're praying God's will for them. You're not praying so they can be rich. You're not praying so they can make it to the NBA. You're not praying so they can be a football star. You're praying for God's will to be done in their life. And so if they're entangled in sin, God, will you deliver them from sin? I know you want to deliver them from sin, Lord. I'm just touching and agreeing with you, Lord, that you deliver them from sin, that you deliver them from the power of the enemy and the stronghold that is in their life. Will you break that stronghold? If they're in captivity and the thoughts in their mind, Lord, Will you set them free from the captivity of those thoughts in their mind? Will you deliver them and lead them to you? Then you say this, God, if you want to use me to lead them, I'm available. But if you don't want to use me, it's understandable. I know you use whoever you think you need to use. Because a lot of times it's not us that's going to lead our families to God. It's going to be other people because we're faithful to God. God will see to it that our family members will be touched and led to him. But they still got to respond. Don't forget that. Don't you get discouraged because God will speak to your children. He will speak to everybody that you're calling on his name for, but they still got to respond. It's tough. That's what I feel I feel these days. If I can share that with you just for a moment. These days, all I feel now, and I guess bringing me into what he called me to do, but it just you just feel i feel sorrow godly sorrow and i feel the 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 the, the burden of god why people don't turn to you god why why they're just letting you be second and third in their life god why 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 aren't they seeing that you're the best thing that could ever ever happen to them why aren't they giving themselves to you that that's how i feel these days now i do realize god was patient with me and merciful to me so i'm not doing that in any way shape or form you know in a bad way is just going to god and say god i can see it now you know because when we get involved with god you begin to see how he sees you begin to feel what he feels 
And you begin to sense what he sends because what you're trying to do now when you get in communion with God, when you get in communion, you pray this prayer, you get in communion with God, you're going to realize that you're going to understand how God operates better. You're going to understand God a little bit better now because you're realizing and you will realize when you get into this, nothing, all the things that we make matter, they really don't matter. I'm not telling anyone that we're not supposed to make sure we go about our everyday life to make sure we eat. To make, because God said that we was going to have to work to eat. You know, I'm not saying that we don't have to do that. I'm not saying that we don't get education. I'm not saying all of those things. I'm saying we need to make sure our relationship with God dictate everything else. Even the job that I'm working, God put me in a situation of a job that will not infringe on my relationship with you. So here we're interceding. We're calling on the name of the Lord for our loved ones. We're calling on the name of the Lord for family situations. We're calling on the name of the Lord for our neighbors. We're calling on the name of the Lord for coworkers and for schoolmates. We're calling on the name of the Lord for people that are lost. In their sins. That's what we're calling on the name of the Lord. The golden altar of incense is where every request can be presented to the prayer answering God. So you make every request known unto God. You begin to call on God's name when you you call on the name of the Lord for your relatives and friends right here. The next thing, once you get there and you pray those prayers you just begin to worship God oh Lord I love you Lord I praise you I worship you Lord I bless your holy name I praise your holy name because what's coming up now is you getting ready to go into God's presence so you come to this veil back then the veil let me tell you how the veil was the veil was 90 feet high 30 feet wide and 18 inches thick 90 feet high, 30 feet wide, and 18 inches thick. The Bible says when Jesus died on that day, that he died for our sins, that 18 inch of thickness of veil, it split down the middle. Now, why did that thing split down the middle when Jesus died? Because, again, he was telling us, we did no longer need a man to get into the presence of God to answer for us. He said, I'm renting that veil wide open so you can come yourself to me and you don't have to go to anybody else. In order to enter into God's presence, now that we're praised and worship, the next thing we must do now is enter into the holies of holy. The holies of holy represents the flesh of Jesus Christ, rent in the final sacrifice and mark physical separation from the spiritual. Whoever went in the holies of holies entered into the very presence of God. Here we ask God for power. Hmm. Here we go beyond, when you go into the holiest of, when you go to holies of holies, you go beyond yourself. And now you're saying, God, I don't have the strength. I don't have the power. I need to go beyond myself and I need your power. I need your strength to, to operate. You must operate in the holies of holy, not on your faith, but on the faith of Jesus Christ. So now when you're getting ready to go in, you understand 
The faith that I have is no longer my faith, but I'm operating on your faith. Meditate on the revelation of the name of Jesus Christ and acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Messiah, God manifest in flesh. And now you know you're ready to enter in. In order to enter inside the holies of holies, uh, we now need the blood of Jesus Christ one more time to apply to our life. The blood is what he shed when he died. So now we need the blood. The holies of holies, to, inside of the holies of holies. Here's what's inside of here. Inside the holies of holies was the Ark of the Covenant, which contained, these things are really, really important, which contained three symbolic items, a golden pot of manna. Aaron's rod that budded and the stone containing the Ten Commandments. The mercy seat where God communed with man rested at the top of the ark. Because the ark was God's throne among his people, it was a symbol of his presence and the power. So it represents the ark of the covenant, represent God's presence and God's power. Only the blood of Jesus Christ gave us access to the holies of holies. And so now when you begin to pray and you begin to claim and plead the blood of Jesus Christ, you enter in. And so now we have this place. Boom. Boom. Now you enter behind the curtain. Back before the Lord died, this was the only time God's people was able to experience his presence and it wasn't God's people it was only the priests that went here once per year for the whole entire nation the priests went once per year the whole entire nation since he took before God and when he took it before God he stood right in front of the ark and when he began to pray and commune with God If the light of Christ did not shine, there's a light that came up between the two cherubims. If the light did not shine, it meant God rejected the people and that priest. And that priest fell dead right in front of that altar. Because God's presence is nothing to play with. God is saying, here is my presence. And anybody that stands in my presence, they are privileged to stand in my presence. And so when they stood there and the light of Christ shined, they knew they were privileged. They knew the almighty, all-powerful God was now accepting to what they wanted. And God was now showing forth his power in their life. The light would shine between the two cherubims with their wings stretched over. When you was in there, that's where you knew you felt God's touch. That's where you knew you felt God's power. That's when you began now to just have fellowship with God. You have now locked the entire world out now. Now you was in a place where the world didn't matter. Nothing matters. When you get into this place, that's when you begin now to commune with God. You say, God, I finally get an opportunity to be in your presence and nothing else matter. I don't care about anything else. I just 
just want to be with you. Uh, clothe me with your mind, Lord. Consume me with your power, Lord. Uh, consume me by your presence and let your glory overshadow me, Lord God. I want to stay here with you uh, and be in communion with you. Uh, oh, God, I worship you uh, and I praise you. Uh, and I'm telling you, if you get into that place, uh, you will begin to speak in another language uh, as you begin to worship him uh, and you begin to praise him. Uh, you will wonder what happened to you. Uh, you will get lost in his presence uh, and God will begin to speak to you uh, and God will begin to direct you uh, and God will consume you. Uh, and when you feel the presence of God, uh, you now know uh, you are capable and able to take authority. Uh, that's the place where you tell demons, uh, let go of my children. Uh, that's the place where you tell demons, uh, let go of my city. That's where you tell demons, uh, oh God has given me authority over you. Uh, because when you're in the presence of God, uh, you've got the authority uh, all upon you. Uh, and you can command demons. Uh, and you can command evil spirits. Uh, and you can command God's will. Uh, because the word of God, uh, the power of God, uh, and the glory of God is in that place. Oh. <laughs> Oh, we talked about uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, uh, we talked about Aaron's rod that budded. Uh, and we talked about the pot of manner. The sword is the authority of God. Uh, the sword gives you authority. Uh, that's why it's back there. And that's why when you get back there, you've got authority. Uh, the bread, the pot of manner, it is the word of God. Uh, and it's in your life. Uh, and the Ten Commandments is the word, the guideline, the law of God. You can begin to speak it with authority. You can begin to pray it according to God's will. You take authority over every force of demons. You can do whatever you want when you're in the presence of God. For His ways now become your ways. His ways are now your ways. You can command demons when you're in the presence of God. Oh, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, we praise you. This is the place where you're, you are in God's presence. This is where you have authority. This is where you come against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. Oh, this is the place where the angels of the Lord, hey, they now encamp round about you. This is the place where the angels of the Lord, you tell the angels, you ask God, let the angel Lord follow me wherever I go today. Uh, that when the angels uh, of this world, the demonic angels come against me, uh, the angels of the Lord uh, will withstand them. Uh, that's where you tell God, uh, Lord, will you allow angels to go wherever I go? Uh, will you allow angels to go where my children go uh, so we can withstand uh, every attack of the enemy uh, because the angels of the Lord will encamp round about me. Uh, oh, hallelujah. This is where you say, God, uh, I thank you. God, I worship you. God, I praise you. And you begin to say in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. 
Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And then you meditate. You meditate on the Lord. You sit there and you meditate. And you let God just have his way in your life. God have your way. God have your way. God have your way. Mm. Hallelujah. Next Thursday, when we come back together, next week we're going to be fasting for three days. We're going to fast for three days. We're going to fast Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Just water, if you can do it. If you're on medication, take your medication and take food with it. But if you can handle yourself, water only. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. When we come Thursday, together, we're going to pray this prayer together. We're going to pray this prayer together. That's all we're going to do next Thursday when we come together. We're going to pray this prayer together. And we're fasting and praying. And when we pray the intercessory prayer, what we're saying is, God, you have plans for this church. You have plans for us. Help us, Lord God. Show us. Speak to us where you want to take us. And let us know what we must do to accomplish what you want to do in us. That's what we're going to be praying next Thursday when we come here. But we're going to fast Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Now you can turn your sheet over because it's the prayer on this sheet. This is the prayer that when you look through this, you will see everything I told you about is on this piece of paper. When you're ready to pray, you get yourself in a comfortable place and you take your time and pray. This gives you time with fellowship with God. I know it might seem like a long time. After you start praying this very well, you will know how to pray it probably in a less time. But you never rush your time with God. You do whatever you have to do to spend time with God. But I'm going to tell you for your first few times doing this prayer, you probably want to give yourself an hour to pray. Long time ago, we used to hear, you need to pray an hour. And we used to say, how are you going to pray an hour? That's a long time. But I just gave you. If you go by this, you will pray an hour easily. Easily. Because when you get here at the golden infants, this is your intercessory time. Now you got to think about everybody that you know and love and care about. Now you got to pray for them. You know how long that prayer alone take? We're not even talking about getting right by repenting or, or getting right by entering into the gates with praise and thanksgiving, then repentance, then washing yourself in the word, then right at, at the, the, the five pillars where you enter into the holy place of, 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 of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. We're not even talking about those things. So it will take you some time to pray this. You'd have to give yourself some time to pray this. But it's a way to get into God's presence. It's a way to prepare you to meet the day that's ahead of you. Every day that you will meet after you pray this, you will now know I can handle this day. Not because I am anything, but because I have touched the throne. 
because I have gone into his presence, because I have heard a rhema word from him. I can handle anything that comes my way now because I have communed and fellowship with the almighty God. This is what's going to take you into his presence every day. And this is the way, this is the way that will help you during your walk with God. Remember what I said when I started out. We, we struggle. We stumble. We have all kind of challenges when we're trying to live for God. And it's okay. That's just the way it works. We will have those things living for God. But what happens a lot of times is during your struggle and your stumbling, if you don't know how to get back on point, if you don't know how to get back on course, you just keep drifting and drifting during your stumbling and during your challenging times. This prayer will keep you from drifting too far from God because if you got to pray this every day, no matter how much you stumble, the day when you pray this prayer, you get back into the presence of God. This is more key than probably anything that you probably heard me taught. Yes, we need all of those principles that I teach and preach about every week. But this is what's going to keep you. Remember, this church is a church about we are big on getting you to get your relationship with God. This is what this is what it's all about. I cannot run your life for you. And I'm not going to try to run your life for you. I love you to death. And I will do whatever I can to help you. But I can't run your life for you. And I'm not going to try to run your life for you. But if you pray this prayer, God will help you run your life and run it really well for you. And that's who you need to depend on is Jesus Christ. Every day that you go before him, all the challenges that you face, all the things that you don't have answers for, God God will speak to you because you and him, he desired to have fellowship with you. He desired to commune with you every day. You can do this on your own. You can do this and God wants you to do this because this is how you're going to get the victory every day you live until you get the glory in heaven. Somebody thank God today for his goodness. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. Anytime we sin against God, we're supposed to stop at that moment and ask God for forgiveness. Anytime throughout the day, anytime you messed up. But I will say this again. The power behind this prayer is if I pray this prayer every day, I would do less messing up. You follow what I'm saying? But if you happen to mess up that day, even after you pray this prayer, you need to stop right there and repent. Remember this. The Bible says we were born in sin and shaping in iniquity. We're going to sin all even sometime when we don't even realize we're messing up. We're going to sin. But so so every time we pray, we have to ask for forgiveness and ask God to go in the secret part compartments of our heart and burn up all of those sins. So we must always repent. And so we must always follow this. But, yes, you're going to have days. You're going to have struggles where you mess up. And as soon as you get a moment, you need to step aside and say, God, I just deceived that lady. I shouldn't have deceived that lady. Please forgive me for deceiving that lady. Forgive me, Lord. Will you cleanse my heart from deception, cleanse my spirit from deception in the name of Jesus? I really ask you truly, God, to cleanse me from that spirit of deception. I don't want to deceive anybody. Now, here's the thing. Again, this prayer is so powerful that if you pray this, you will know quickly, too, when you mess up. But when you don't pray and you don't commune with God, you can do things that are wrong and, it, and you don't feel bad. 
if we don't stay constantly in fellowship with God, this is why, again, this is so important. You stay constantly in fellowship with God. When you mess up, you know it right away and you want to clean that mess up. And that's what's called godly sorrow. The Bible says godly sorrow work at repentance. So when you stay in communion with God, as soon as you mess up, you feel godly sorrow. Oh, Lord, I just disappointed you. When you sin again, when you stay in God's fellowship and communion, when you mess up, you'll realize it's God that I just offended. It's God that I just went against. People are secondary. God is who you sin against when you sin. So you got to go to him and realize, I just messed up, God. Forgive me, please. Any other questions? Let's stand and we're going to pray one more time. Thank you for your patience. I just believe this is a life-changing prayer format to follow. It is a life-changing. None of us are going to pray the same way, but we will follow the same format. Because my relatives and your relatives are different. My relatives and your relatives going through the same, going through different things. What I go through may not be what you go through. So it's the format that's important. It's not the exact thing that we pray because... We're all different people, and we're going to all have different things, different challenges, but the format is going to help you and bless your soul. Amen. Let's talk to the Lord and ask him to go with us as we go. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, oh, thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for bringing us all together tonight. Lord, I pray that the word of God will go into the heart of every individual. Lord, you're calling.